The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. The Minister for Justice, Simon Harris, will today seek Cabinet approval to increase sentences for assaults on Gardaí and other emergency service workers. He will ask his government colleagues for permission to draft legislation to increase the maximum sentence for assaulting or obstructing a Garda from 7 to 12 years. I'm joined now by the CEO of Lifeline Ambulance Service, David Hall, and by former Garda inspector and now risk security and event manager with Ashtree Risk Group, Tony Gallagher. Good morning and welcome to you both. Um, David, we'll start with you first. I mean, how frequent uh, are assaults or threats to your members? I think, um, Pat, I think it's a welcome move from the Minister. I think, um, you know, there, if you look at the entire emergency services across the board, there are many assaults um, each year and many verbal assaults and physical assaults and indeed sexual assaults, which are completely unacceptable. These are already difficult jobs. Um, there's different categories involved, uh, Pat. There's those on, on frontline services who would be dealing with the public on a front-facing basis, which the National Ambulance Service does. And over 2021 and 2022 reports 170 such instances between physical and verbal assaults uh, while do, their members were doing their jobs. My own service, who routinely do transfers in between hospitals, would have much lower level of interaction and indeed some are unfortunately medical related assaults that occur and um, which are very very unfortunate uh, indeed so i think this is a good move for the minister there should be compulsory custodial sentences there should be significant sentencing for those who are repeat offenders amongst different services there are a number of bad people out there who seem intent on disrupting our emergency services and the distress and the uh, level of impediment this puts upon members of the emergency services is very very significant and should not be underestimated these are people who are there to help us, to there to help the public and in there to keep our services uh, good and flowing and safe and indeed to save lives. And those who intentionally come to try and disrupt those uh, people and cause them difficulty, cause them harm uh, in a sustained and an ongoing basis uh, must be punished and, and there must be severe sanction uh, that they understand clearly the consequences of their actions. Yeah. Um, do you train your personnel to deal with what might be called an escalation? Yeah, there's the de-escalation training is, is, is given and we also have our SISM system in place, which is obviously a sort of a support service for staff in circumstances where clinically, physically or any other issue that arises uh, on, on in the workplace. National Ambulance Service I read this morning has a very similar project in place that works and protects staff. Nobody, everyone has zero tolerance in relation to this. Anyone who works for me and has worked for me understands and, and clearly knows my own views on this and have been strongly held views for a long period of time. It is absolutely abhorrent that anybody would uh, assault a member of a frontline service or indeed an emergency service who is there to help, to put them in danger, to put them at risk, to aggravate the situation. And also remembering in, in the ambulance service situation, Pat, putting the treatment of a patient in grave danger also. There are additional consequences when somebody is looking to have care rendered upon them where the environment is being created in such a way that that care can be given safely and therefore costing or risking that person's life also. Mm. In your situation, given that, as you say, most of your work would be doing medical transfers, I mean, is it at all likely that you'll come across any kind of uh, threat or thuggery? Yeah, we will have, as I say, look, we, 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 we travel around cities, we travel around the country, we cover events, um, we would have various standbys and also, you know, patients um, come from different uh, situations and circumstances and so do the families. And, and, and fortunately, some people under pressure and at peak times of the year and during the summer in January, people aren't happy and uh, there's a huge pressure and, and uh, stress upon people and add to that someone who's very unwell. So indeed, on circumstances, we would have, on, on, on not on a massively regular basis, but most certainly 
tackled in a number of occasions during the year um, difficulties in relation to physical, um, more mm-hmm. verbal than physical. But obviously the risk is always there. And, and I think the key part there, Pat, is that that risk is always there. This is, a, you know, you're in a confined space in the back of an ambulance vehicle um, and indeed the same in emergency departments and indeed with the Gardaí on the front line and, and the fire services. So it's a very, very difficult and things have changed. This wasn't as prevalent an issue uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It was always there, but nowhere near the level of risk that exists mm-hmm. at the moment and the level of tuggery that's there. And it is tuggery and it needs to be, you know, some people think this is a sport. These are uh, professional staff whose this has an impact on them for the rest of their career. And this removes staff and disencourages staff to get involved in a service that's critical to our system in Ireland. Now, do you believe, uh, finally, David, that uh, increasing the maximum permitted sentence in the courts from seven to 12 years will be any kind of deterrent to that kind of behaviour. Now, clearly, if someone is uh, psychiatrically ill, and that is the the reason for the attack on your members, for example, during a transfer, I mean, no amount of prison time would act as a deterrent to someone who's, you know, mentally unwell. No, and again, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of incidences, Pat, that are, that there's no reporting made because of that. People don't make reports. Like these are professional healthcare staff in my own area and indeed in the National Ambulance Service, Dublin Fire Brigade and other services who don't routinely want to cause any difficulty for patients. These are people who are in great difficulty. This is where members of the public um, have a clear intent on causing difficulty and harm to all emergency personnel and staff. And we see you know, crazy situations where stones and bricks are thrown at fire engines you know, endangering the lives of fire service personnel, ambulance service personnel being assaulted and guardy. So in circumstances where there's violence, a minimum sentencing, yes, the seven to 12 years sounds great, but there's been a minimum of a one to two year sentence uh, imposed upon anybody who gets involved in such things. There are clinical situations that unfortunately manifest themselves where people will end up in a bit of difficulty and many people are compassionate and understand those circumstances. And that training is specifically available for that, where you position yourself mm. in the context of a patient, etc. But where there's absolutely raw, outright tuggery, zero tolerance, minimum prison sentence, not a maximum prison sentence. There must be prison sentences in circumstances and other consequences for people who decide to get involved in such tuggish behaviour and endanger emergency staff. David, thank you very much for joining us. David Hall, who's CEO of Lifeline Ambulance Service. Tony Gallagher, former Guard Inspector, uh, Risk and Security and Event Manager with Ashtree Risk Group. Uh, Tony, as a former Guard, uh, do you welcome this? Or, uh, as David says, is it better the other way around? Instead of having maximum sentences, ensure there's a minimum sentence handed down by the court. In other words, uh, and judges hate this, but to have their hands tied. Yeah, the last part is true, Pat. Well, first of all, I'd like to compliment the minister on his desire to act and treat this topic seriously. But you had a pre-existing offence there under the Public Order Act. And Public Order Act and areas around assaults, that legislation is almost 40 years old. Now, you had an offence there under Section 19 of the Public Order Act, an assault on the peace officer in the execution of his duty. Now, that particular charge required the consent of the DPP to take that prosecution, and that was seldom instructed by the DPP. So while, yes, you're going to get the upper-end legislation, will it be taken up and will it be implemented is the question. Whereas what I would have argued for was that, and Brendan touched on it from the GRA, is that the lower-end offences where you had a specific offence of threatening behaviour and abuse towards a public official, let's broaden it out, the definition of a public official, to include the frontline services and indeed politicians, because there's no specific offence there. It's outdated. All you have is the old breach of the peace. 
And when you have a situation where a Garda arrives on the front line to deal with an incident and his personal space is invaded, there's a phone shoved up in his face and vile abuse is directed at him. We had a situation there in Ballyfermot where the, the Garda was commented on as a midget and vile abuse directed at him. Now, he should have felt the collar uh, being pulled and flung into the back of a van and arrested for an offence there. And it should be a meaningful offence for threatening behaviour and abuse. And you saw that recent situation there too, where the excrement was thrown at public officials there at, at um, a, a politician's meeting. Now, it There's was, no, it, the, the excrement thrown was actually dried cow dung and it was yeah. in a plastic bag. And there's no offence disclosed there. Mm -hmm. So in actual fact, if you were to broaden uh, the opportunity there under the Public Order Act to talk about threatening behaviour or misconduct, I think it needs to be broadened because it might surprise uh, people to know that there's nothing that can be done to the person in relation to carrying out that offence. Yeah. I remember years ago, uh, Primetime uh, showed some CCTV footage, obviously taken by either Dublin City's uh, CCTV or the, the Garda own uh, CCTV in College Green, and the abuse that was being hurled at uh, a Garda was monumental, and yeah. yet they couldn't, as you say, grab the guy by the collar and shove him into the back of the paddy wagon and take him away. They had to, in some, for some reason, put up with that abuse. Exactly, Pat, and that's putting up with it. There's an expectation that the Garda should be able to suffer this type of abuse. But we've gone way beyond that now in the current environment where they've upped their ante and they're disrespecting and abusing the Garda, and that's manifesting itself across okay. all sectors. But no one uh, wants to go back to the days of, you know, random yeah. violence meted out by Garda on the street to, to young thugs. You know, they'd literally take um, their gloved hand to a, a thug, and there was one officer who's celebrated for dealing with that kind of street violence. Uh, but nowadays, that would not be condoned at all. So Garda are depending on you're telling me the DPP under the old act and then yep. they're depending on judges being street smart in doing what they should be doing. Well, I don't think there's any danger of the Gardaí um, escalating his behaviour or her behaviour towards an, well, an not arrested nowadays, subject. Because someone's not going nowadays. to have a phone out. And the, the oversight is huge and the, and the phone out, as you say, is a, a real problem. And... I mean, that's why the body cams need to be introduced as a matter of urgency to give the, the, the Gardaí on a, on a fair footing so that they can represent what they've gone through. And I'm sure the judges of the district court will be astonished when they see the behaviour, um, what's happening. And in actual fact, you talk about this new legislation, Pat, it'll end up in the circuit court, which will take a year's for it to come to trial and it will lose its momentum and at that stage the defence lawyers are readying up and are reading from the book of mitigating excuses as to why their client became involved in that behaviour and they're least likely to get the uh, full impact of the penalty. Mm. So so how should it work? I mean the the, the whole idea of you know the night court where someone who's been behaving badly on the streets goes before a district judge, there's a, a, a lawyer standing by uh, to represent them if they need it. Maybe not. Maybe they have to just speak up for themselves. Are you talking that summary justice uh, should be handed out as the events unfold? Well, I think the night court is a very uh, good situation 
situation. I experienced that myself. And the offender knew directly there was a consequence of his his or her behaviour that was going to be dealt with expeditiously. Um, but, I mean, if there were really to be serious about it and to talk about delays of trials coming to fruition, they should be increasing the jurisdiction of the district court from two years to three years. The maximum penalty that can be imposed in the district court is two years. And while we look at all these offences, you wonder how well they are preparing for it because the prisons are full. Um, We have a population that's increased by 2 million and the proportionate population of a prison will increase by by that virtue. And Thornton Hall was shelved. So, I mean, the prisons are full and we know about those reports. So I don't know where they're going to put them. Yeah. Now, going back to that uh, thing about the DPP, that rarely did DPPs over the years since uh, the Public Order Act was introduced. uh, Why do you think there was a reluctance on the part of successive DPPs uh, to bring things to court? Because the DPP has to weigh up whether or not they're likely to get a conviction. Isn't that so? That's so, yeah. Yeah, I know I have very clear evidence of it, uh, Pat. They don't favour it because it's a more difficult option to uh, put forward in the district court simply because of the of the uh, election for trial. So in other words, to bring it onto the circuit court. They don't favour it. And what they're more inclined to do is to ask the, uh, that the Garda, who, the person who carried out the assault on them, is charged with the regular assault charge or the assault causing harm. But I think it loses its status, and that's what I like about the new legislation, that it's specific to the frontline people, and that carries a status that will resonate across all sectors of society, particularly if a person like that is going to apply for future employment or an ability to travel, to say that he holds a conviction or she for assaulting a frontline worker. Yeah, but that wouldn't, in the sense, you know, the conviction, whether they got... Um, you know, two years or seven years or ten years, uh, that uh, conviction for a felony prevents them from entering the United States. Doesn't matter how long, really, the sentence is. I know what you're saying, Pat, yeah, um, and, and I agree. But I think it's an enduring legacy of that person's career to have on the record that they assaulted a frontline worker. I think it does carry a status. Um, but we, it remains to be seen will it be taken up and consented to be proceeded with by the DPP? All right, uh, very interesting times anyway, and uh, of course a long way to go before uh, this proposal would become law. Uh, Tony Gallagher, former Garda Inspector, Risk Security and Event Manager with Ashtree Risk Group, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.